like us at this time to turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and its instruction in the doctrine of creation and providence, Lord's Days 9 and 10, 16 and 17 in the back of your Psalter hymnals. We're considering especially the doctrine of providence today, though this is linked with creation. And as you'll see, the Catechism itself emphasizes the providence of God in both Lord's days. Here is what we confess as Reformed and biblical believers of the creation and providence of God, Lord's Day 9. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? The answer we give is that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ his Son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He's able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. And Lord, say, 10, what do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and everywhere present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures And so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. How then does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Thus, the Catechism's teaching on creation and providence of which we will be speaking as we expound the truth in light of the Word of God, and especially... Psalm 139, which I'd have us turn to now as the basis for instruction, along with the whole of the Bible, in the truth of God's creation and providence. But you'll note this Psalm 139, which has been a comfort to many, even to one with whom I conversed in the hospital not too long ago, and this was his great comfort as he lay there and has had heart surgery. This psalm is very personal, and in almost every word, and you could find this, children, there's a reference to the psalmist himself, to God's searching him and knowing him, to God's creating him, and then finally, as we'll see, God's leading him and his prayer that God would lead this psalmist in the way everlasting. So for personal application of the truth of providence, There's hardly a psalm like it, Psalm 139. Let us so read, and may God the Holy Spirit apply this truth to our lives 
and for our comfort this year. For the chief musician, a psalm of David, says the subheading. Hear the word of God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or in the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak wickedly against, against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved, it is... My hope and my prayer that this congregation would make as their prayer, the prayer of the psalmist David, lead me in the way everlasting. This is the way of Christ, and this is the prayer we make, knowing that in this world we need this way everlasting. The God of providence is presented here in this Word of God, this wonderful psalm, as indeed the God of creation and providence, of meticulous creation and providence, his being the author of all things made and also the caregiver meticulously of things little and great. But especially the psalmist speaks of this personal creation of himself in the womb and of this providence of God when he is also out of the womb. And he speaks in the uh, the backdrop of enemies that he has 
and whom he needs God to take care of and destroy. And his prayer at the end of this psalm, which will be that on which we focus in our consideration of creation and providence, his prayer is that he would be led spiritually in the way of all of the care of God unto the things of heaven and to Christ himself. So in our day, beloved, we need to have this kind of attitude with regard to the providence of God. What will be in 2024? God will be providing because he's created all things. He doesn't leave them go on their own. He provides for them. He governs and he cares for them. He upholds them. But 2024 will also be the triumph of God over wickedness. He will provide for the destruction in righteousness of all of those who oppose him. It will also be the year of our Lord and his salvation. He will be saving his own. He will be providing for them not only things of this earth, sometimes by subtraction and taking things away, but nevertheless, he will be saving his own, and this is the thing we will look for and is our comfort in this year of our Lord, 2024. We would consider then providence, and especially the providence of God, and we want to do this so that we can be practically Christian in this year, knowing that our Heavenly Father, God our Father that we confess, who is our Father for Jesus' sake, is leading us. We will entrust our souls to Father God, who is the Father and the God of Jesus in His humanity. We will not be like the Pope. And I must say this so that we can understand what's out there and what weirdness is out there and what unbelief is out there in this year and in this world. We will not be like the Pope who tells his congregants, the Roman Catholic Church, some one billion strong, to entrust 2024 to the Mother of God, by which he's alluding to the fact that they have this adoration of Mary, the mother of God, as one of the creeds says. Over against this kind of foolishness, over against this foolishness that also is found among humans that we will just leave everything to fate or chance or maybe to human ingenuity this year, we will entrust ourselves to our Father and to the Father of Jesus Christ, who is our God and Father for Jesus' sake. Under the theme, He leadeth me, we consider providence in this light. God is our creator. Lord's Day 9 gives a brief statement of this before launching especially into an exposition of the providence of God. When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, this is what we say that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is in my God and Father because of Christ his Son. You'll note, there's hardly anything said here of creation. It's almost, it is basically a, a parenthesis to the truth into which the catechism launches of providence and the practical truth that God our Father is ours for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
So that's why I'm taking these Lord's Days together and focusing on the providence of God and of Christ. But the fact is, we must not merely uh, blur over the truth that God is creator. That's our confession. That is the confession of the Bible, the teaching of the Bible. It's taught here, as we'll see in point two, in uh, the psalmist speaking of God forming his inward parts and covering him in the womb, verses 13 and 14 and so on, so that the psalmist can say he's fearfully and wonderfully made, created, as it were, by God, whom he praises. But God, we know, back of our personal creation by him, is the creator of all things. This is how the Bible opens. This was the hope of Israel and is the hope of the church of Christ. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's how our God greets us and blesses us at the opening of every worship. God is creator. This is an astounding thing. Creation is great. There are many powers in creation, many Many great creatures and uh, mighty and mightier by far than we are, but God is greater than them all. That's what our confession says of this God. He's truly God, Elohim, the triune God of all creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the sea and all that is in them. This is what we believe. God made all things in the beginning. Not that all things were there in the beginning, waiting for him to act upon. There was nothing in the beginning besides God. We do not believe in the eternal existence of matter. Before God, there was nothing, because God was always. But with God in eternity, there was nothing, because he alone is God, and he alone is eternal. But creation... Everything in this universe, not just the world, though the Bible focuses on that, creation has a beginning. And so, at some appointed time in God's eternal counsel, which we believe is behind creation, God of nothing created heaven and earth and upholds them by his eternal counsel and providence. God saw fit, God who was alone but not lonely in his triune fellowship life, to create things outside of himself. The Catechism speaks not of a big bang. Note this. It speaks of the biblical way in which God describes for us in Revelation how he made everything. Out of nothing, so that the things were made out of things that did not appear, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 3. Ex nihilo is the Latin confession of the church. Out of nothing, God created everything. Meaning, he didn't need anything to make every other thing. He didn't take a hammer and a chisel and invent something. He didn't have uh, uh, any other means that he used except this. He spoke and it was done. By the word of the Lord, the psalmist says, with the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, the spirit of his mouth. So the word and the spirit with the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were involved in making all things and even in letting themselves make man. 
God is the creator. This is not is the catechism or the Bible teaching that all things came out of the being of God and that's why they were given existence. They flowed forth or emanated as so many philosophical eons or demigods or demiurges from the being of God. No, that's philosophy. We have a mystery here. There was God and then divine fiat, let there be, and there were things outside of God. How this came to pass is this mystery, and we are left there, uh, not mystified, we are enlightened, but mystified, uh, we are enlightened, in other words, to worship God. This is the point of God's revealing himself as creator of all things and of us puny creatures. He's the creator. Ephesians 1 says he makes all things and works all things by the, his counsel, and indeed this was according to his counsel. In his counsel, he determined to create all things so that he would provide for those things as well. And this is the emphasis of the catechism. The God who made all things now provides for all things. We are those who are not as the deists, who are a faction especially uh, popular in France in the Enlightenment and also among the fathers of this land of ours. Deists like Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, who had God maybe as a creator, but they did not have him as a provider. God created all things like a clockmaker makes a clock, sets it, and winds it up, and then lets things go on their own, maybe according to laws of nature, whatever. Every once in a while, he steps back and rewinds the clock, or maybe puts his finger in the pond, as C.S. Lewis would say, and stirs things up, and you have a miracle. Meanwhile, God is not so involved in creation. He leaves things up to us and up to the laws of nature. But the biblical confession also here in this text in Psalm 139 is God's meticulous providence. He is careful of everything without being anxious, but he's full of care, as it were, to order all things, direct all things, to uphold all things by the word of his power. As the Catechism says, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them, note his, this, that leaf and blade, leaf on the tree and blade of grass, children, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty are all regulated and provided for and upheld by the hand of God. The psalmist here knows this meticulous providence of God personally when he speaks of God searching him and knowing him. He knows all about you, people of God. He knows everything about you, and he knows this with intimacy. He knows this and directs things so that you know him, and on and on, as we shall see. But he provides, and this is the great truth of the Bible. The God who is over all things, who is the creator of all things, uh, 
is the provider of them, the ruler of them. So Nebuchadnezzar is compelled by the Spirit to write or to, to say the things that Daniel records in chapter 4, 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing to God. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? So there's creator and providence and creator and provider. That's what we believe. And we ought to know that this is great light that the Bible throws on this, throws on the truth of God, the creator and the provider. Indeed, creation itself and the providence of God is a light to all people. In Romans 1, we read that there's this, this general revelation by which God in creation and in the provision that he gives to creation, God reveals something of his internal po eternal power and Godhead so that people are without excuse. They know that there's something behind creation, and it wasn't a mere big bang. They know that there is a creator of Adam and of all men in Adam, so he made of one blood all men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and that it wasn't by natural selection and according to the theory of Darwin but according to the work of God, the creative work of, of God. We know as well, in light of this word, this special revelation, that creation and providence real, reveals of God a greatness, a wisdom, a kingship, or as we say, a sovereignty, a wisdom and a power and a goodness all of the creation and the ways that God provides, oh, they show this. But now, we have a problem. And the problem is, not God, but the world as we see it, the world as we know it. The Catechism reminds us that we can trust God and that he will turn to our good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. I paused when I was reading the Catechism afresh in preparation for this sermon and was struck by the fact that in the 1500s when this Catechism was written, the fathers saw a sad world in this world, a sad world. And I'm wondering, scratching my head and searching my soul, what does this have to do with the grand doctrine of God the Creator, who when He created everything, created everything good, and He saw it, and He stepped back, as it were, and He reflected on His day, the seventh day, and how good and wonderful everything He had made was. And then I thought of the fact that in the providence of God, there's all kinds of things that are evil and that are upsetting and there's many tears and there's death and there's, there's dead ends that people try, directions they try to go to try to get out of the sadness and the hurt in the world. How can there be God a creator whom we confess and God a provider and there's all this garbage, this sadness, you ever think of that? 
and psalmist. He extols the God who is his God, who knows him, created him, leads him, whose thoughts are precious to him, and so on. And then he turns in the last part of the psalm to the problem. Makes it really sad for believers. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. It's almost like it doesn't fit. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, but for they speak against you, God, wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain, and so on. How can this be? Well, beloved, the answer is that God in his creation and providence of all things has indeed created a creation that would be a good place, but not for long. He had intended all things and even, therefore, the fall of Adam into sin. We have to say that. Otherwise, we have huge problems with our theology. If the fall was something that took God by surprise, imagine that. Imagine that. We couldn't confess, really, that God created all things and that he's that almighty. We couldn't really confess that God provides all things because, well, there's evil. And we couldn't do that because, or we couldn't say that, that God provides all things and these things took God by chance because then there's some power out of God's control. There's other hands besides the hand of God. You usually look long and bony and have long nails and they scratch your eyes out. Hands of demons. Now, beloved, the whole answer to this problem, this sadness, this sin in this world, is in the last word of our text. Lead me in the way everlasting. You know what that is. The way in the Bible, the way everlasting, from eternity to eternity, the way of life, is Jesus. It's Jesus. Way back then, before Jesus was born, before Isaiah prophesied of the Son of God who would be given, before Bethlehem, before the cross, before the resurrection, there's a way. There's a way, and the psalmist sees that as the thing that he's going to cling to, a thing that keeps him going. It's a way. It's a way of life. It's a way in the sadness. It's a way out of all the evil. It's the end of the goal of God's creation and providence. That's Jesus. And that's the gospel of creation and providence. Colossians 1, New Testament testimony of the fullness of God's revelation in Jesus says that by Jesus and for Jesus were all things made. By him all things subsist. And Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the one who is the word of God upholding all things by the word of his power. There's a word who's a way and the way and the word are life everlasting. God visits the sad world and this is number one in the purposes of God. Not an afterthought. 
But the first thought, for this Jesus is the second Adam. But he's the firstborn of every creature, Colossians goes on to say. First in the mind of God. You want to call that superlapsarian versus infra? Not necessarily, don't have to. However, you have to know this. We have to know this. We believe in high theology here. We preach it. And all of those who may be visiting, maybe you just stepped in to the, to the forum here of this congregational worship. We preach God here. And that he is almighty God. And that his eternity is eternity of repose and trust and of a council of peace that the Son of God's love will come into time. And here's how it will be. He will be the word of God speaking into the nothingness, and there it is. And he will be the word of God who's in the creation, ready to come forth as a son of man and as a promised Messiah. And so that providence is God creating and providing for the coming of his son. And the way everlasting, that's the gospel of God's creation and God's providence. You see, a lot of people don't know that everlasting way. As I said, there's a lot of death and there's a lot of dead ends. Vain attempts to live and thrive without God. That's what they're going to be this year. Count on it. This election year, hold on to your hats. They'll be debating this and that and the other thing. What policy can get us out of this? What new missile we can develop that'll destroy the enemy and so on? What peace accord we can have to make peace among men? There'll be all kinds of collaboration among men or there will be a pope who continues to say, trust in Mary, the mother of God. How hopeful is this psalmist here at the last? Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. And I'll go on to the second point here. Me. <laughs> As I said, you've got to count all the times the psalmist speaks of the Lord and himself. O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me, you've known my sitting down and my rising up, you understand my thought? Far off, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Here's a psalmist whose theology will not be some theory. It will be right into the bones, or he doesn't want it. He finds comfort in the fact that God knows him, and he is marveled by the fact that God created him in the womb, and, and he knew God, and and that the darkness is nothing to God. He knows the psalmist in the dark. The dark and the light are the same to God. He's omniscient. He sees everything. That's why children just know this. You might think you're getting away with something with God, with your parents, but never with God. Your parents usually know what's going on too. But God always does. And the psalmist loves that. And he loves this because, well, he knows this way everlasting. And you see, he's been led to this way everlasting. 
And we must know this. We've been led to this way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. Well, that's what happened, has happened to the people of God. In all the people of the world, there's this God who loves them and who knows them. And this is the idea of God's knowing. He knows them with love and intimacy. The psalmist is not speaking here of mere knowledge of God of him, as if God knows the facts. He knows how big we are. He knows how heavy we are. And he knows our needs and so on. But he's loving us. I love you, God says. And the psalmist writes it down, a response to his lover. You have searched me, and you know me, O God. You know me. You know me inside and out. You know me, and you still have to do with me. You don't just say, I know you. I'm moving on. Nothing much here. You're mine. That's what God says to you. He sent Jesus Christ. And now, because he sent him for you, Christ died for you. He comes your way and he says, now I love you. Now enter into my fellowship and here's faith and here's my spirit and here's my life that makes life to abound. And here's the everlasting way. It's Jesus. Know that. And elders, when you rule in the name of that son, you tell that to the people, won't you? And deacons, when you bring mercies, you bring the mercy of God. It is all about God providing for his people who very needy they are. This Jesus, this way to heaven, this heavenly way. So the psalmist knows here God leading him like Psalm 23, God leads me beside the still waters and in the paths of righteousness. Now, in the way everlasting. A familiar theme of the psalmists and the prophets of the leading of God. God led Israel through the wilderness. Now he leads the psalmist in the way everlasting. He, he sends all the things he sends so that the psalmist himself will be led to Christ and then from Christ and have communion with Christ so that none of the stuff that happens will happen by chance. But all things will be working together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose to the everlasting way. And that love of God by which he knows you, nothing will separate you from that love. Nothing. If he leads us, it will be so that we're kept in the way. And we're always being led in the way, in the communion of Christ, and we'll believe that. The psalmist here, knowing the creation of God, you formed me, you covered me, I'll praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I had nothing to do with it. I was a living soul from conception. Theories of the abortionist notwithstanding, I'm a living soul from conception. And I'm provided for but that's not going to mean I just sit there now because God works in me and works in you. Faith, a sanctified response. In fact, the psalmist here who prays that God would slay the wicked 
calls the wicked to depart. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. They speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. And then the psalmist, showing the everlasting ways image in his heart, Christ's image in his heart, takes up the cause of God and says, I hate what God hates and I love what God loves. Do not I hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do not I loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Here's the way of 2024. I trust that you don't write out this part of the psalm out of your Bible, that you don't cut it out, as Thomas Jefferson did, you know. The Jeffersonian Bible is the Bible that all the miracles are cut out of. And you believe in miracles. You believe the, the sensible things of Jesus, the morality of Jesus, but not the divinity of Jesus and not the miracles of Jesus. So some people believe in the Jesus and in the God of Jesus, who's mild and meek, but not in the God of wrath. And they don't believe in a psalmist who has imprecatory psalms to say, that is, calling down curses upon the enemies of God. But, beloved, if we believe the word of God, we do. If we know the providence of God providing Jesus, we take the side of God. And we're right there at the cross. And we will not be those who are mamby-pamby and cream puffs in our Christianity. We love everybody. We tolerate everybody. No. Jesus says, indeed, Love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you. But what about God's enemies? Here's what the psalmist says. Do not I hate them, O Lord, who hate you. Do not I loathe those who rise up against you. He's not taking this personally. But as enemies of God, the wicked are those whom we must hate. Now we pray for their salvation. But this is a manifestation of holy wrath of indignation at people who would despise God and his son with perfect hatred. That's the trouble we have, of course. We get involved in our ire. Too much of us is involved. Instead of being righteous and saying, on behalf of God, we must hate you, not just your sin, but you. Though we desire your salvation, we must despise what you stand for. That's the idea here. And have no truck with you, no fellowship with you, nothing that we share with you in this life or the next because we're gods and you're not. Well, beloved, the psalmist himself knows his own worst enemy. By the way, if you have a problem with saying with the psalmist here that we hate them who hate the Lord, well, you have a problem with the word of God. You also have a problem with dealing with your own sin. How do you deal with your own sin, beloved? Here's how I deal with my own sin. I hate it. And I follow the creed that says, in the form that says, we are to despise ourselves, loathe ourselves before God. Our old self, that's the point. So we're as hard on the enemies of God as we are on our own flesh. There's nothing of pride in this. There's nothing of personal animosity. 
No, this is simply being allegiant with God. And holy is God is holy. God's children who love God too much. But the psalmist himself knows his problem still. And that's why he prays to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. (laughs) Now, we just began a week of self-examination and the form for that uh, leads us to to be helped in our examining ourselves. But I would suggest that there's an important thing that's missing from the form, and it's the call for a divine examination of ourselves. We need that too. Won't do only that I examine myself because I'm good at hiding my sin. The psalmist here because he's been led in the way everlasting and he wants to be led in the way of everlasting, is careful and desirous that there be nothing that interferes with the journey. Nothing. The way everlasting. Nothing that gets in between him and Christ. No love for the world. No association and friendship and camaraderie with the world that God hates He says, God, I'm still a sinner. You search out my sins and tell me where I'm denying the truth of my own sinfulness and refusing to repent. That's the idea here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's a very bold prayer, very bold prayer. But this this is involved in taking this personally. Do you take so personally this wonderful creation and providence of God and this way everlasting that's provided in the creation and in the providence of God for you so personally that you'll say, you know, Lord, I still need you and I need you to help me because this way everlasting in me, I I get in the way. I don't want that way. I just want stuff. And I just want it to be all about me. Not you and me, just me. But here is the ultimate of integrity. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. He's speaking not here simply of his created heart, but of this command center of spirituality out of which are the issues of life, the place where God and him are supposed to relate, the place, the heart, the inner part of a man where Jesus is to be the fondest and the most adored and the most to me. He's saying, oh God, there's a problem 
and I need more than a doctor to diagnose it. I need more than myself because I'm dishonest and my heart is deceitful above all things. I need you, O God. Please examine me because this way in this sad world is the only thing that's giving me life and hope, the only thing that says, now I'm going to carry on. So you do it, Lord. I'm praying that when you see this wicked way in, in, in me, which might be there, which no doubt is, you're going to point it out to me and you're going to say, repent of it and I'm going to repent. But then the psalmist is confident. You're going to see Jesus. You know that when we examine ourselves and we pray that God would examine us, it's not just to find sin. I hope not. It's to find the Lord. Now, of course, God doesn't have to search. But we pray that he would search because we're praying with words and human words and limitations that God would get it done however he gets it done. However he's going to work graciously to find the sin, but also to find the Savior there. And so that we choose for the Savior and reject the sin. So that's what we ought to be praying this week. And every week of 2024 that we would know Jesus we would know the triumph over sin personally not just me but now we third point together beloved we go on you know the fathers of this nation when they made up that document called the Declaration of Independence. They wrote at the end, we will trust in the divine providence to uphold this document. We will be committed and we will do this for the honor of that document. It's an astounding statement. But they believed they confessed in divine providence. What about us as a church? We have a greater thing by far than a declaration, a declaration of independence, but we have the word of God. And we have a confession of faith that is no declaration of independence, but a declaration of dependence. We depend on God. And that's no shame. That's a great thing. That's how we're made that's why we're made, and to give all the glory to this God who's creator, provider, and our Savior in Jesus, who's made salvation this highway of the blood of the Lamb, and has given us faith now to latch ourselves to Jesus and walk the narrow way of holiness together. He's given us together to be a congregation. Today, we have installed office bearers, men of integrity. What a gift. These persons 
their offices in our midst. Receive the gift, beloved. Receive the preaching in 2024. It's God's everlasting way providence, special means of grace. Receive the sacrament. Prepare yourself to partake of it so that your faith will be enhanced as by this means of grace we are brought to God, closer to God and to one another. Let us know this as well, that the Apostle Paul says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you know that that's what God's going to provide this year? All of our need as a congregation, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, he can provide, he will provide, he loves us and he's given us the way, he's given us the Son He's given him to the death for us and for the life of us in raising him up again. Entrust your lives to this God and Father of Jesus and our Father for his sake. Don't entrust your lives to the mother of God, to Mary, or to any other creature, saint, to fate or chance or to happenstance. Don't trust in them. And especially don't trust in yourself or in the mass of humanity, however many geniuses there are among us. Trust in God. I believe in God. I believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, the provider of everything and every good thing, who has provided for us Jesus the way home. Amen. Lord, we pray that you would bless us. The knowledge of your provision in Jesus Christ. Bless us along the way that we travel as pilgrims and strangers in this year, in this world. Give us to be heavenly minded Give us to love what you love, to hate what you hate, to be on your side in every way, Lord. Give us to be against ourselves in our sinfulness, but for one another as we would encourage one another. Thanks for providing for this church. Week by week we shall go on. We will frequent the house of God diligently on the Lord's days. We will have each other in prayer, Lord, and we will pray, Lord, search us. See if there be any wicked way in us. Find Jesus there, Lord, in whom we trust, and lead us in the way everlasting. For his sake, amen.